And we're continuing our, our sermon series today in the book of Acts. So do keep your Bibles open there on page 112223. Um, the book of Acts is all about God empowering his church to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's what we're looking at these uh, five weeks. But as we come to this midway point in the sermon series, I wonder if for some of you, you may be a little bit fed up already. Because evangelism for you, sharing your faith in Jesus with others, is not exactly your, your favorite topic. If you're being really honest with me or with others, you'd say evangelism to you is a bind, it's a duty, it's a chore. A lot of the time you feel guilty about it. As you look at the Apostle Paul, you think, rather you than me. And perhaps you're quite looking forward to getting through this sermon series onto the next one and something more appealing. Now, if that is you, and I know what that can feel like at times, could just for a moment you hold that thought? Because I think there is something very beautiful and very appealing about what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul through these three chapters, 24, 25, 26 of Acts. They're all put together because there are three trials that he is facing here before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. But the way Paul speaks truth to power here in, in such a bold and courageous way, the way Paul perseveres in the face of terrible personal injustice, and he does so without any moaning or complaining, the way Paul continues to move out in love to others, very powerful people, with seemingly very little concern for his own personal freedoms. It is very beautiful, it is very appealing, and I want to say that wherever we're coming from today, whether we call ourselves Christian here today or not, I think we'd all agree we need more people like this in the world today. People who are prepared to stand up for the truth even when their own livelihood is at stake. People who are prepared to keep going in the face of injustice and do right for society. People who are frankly less selfish, less self-focused, and more concerned with the welfare of others. We need that, we want that. And the good news for us this morning is we can be just these sort of people, whoever we are. And the beauty we see here in the life of the Apostle Paul, that same beauty can characterize our lives too. Now let's see how to do it. First of all, Paul's standing up for the truth, which we see in all three trials. But I want us to focus in on the first trial, chapter 24, page 1122, and verses 24 to 26. Let me read those verses to us again. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. Now, let's get the context clear in our minds here. Paul, do you remember from last week? He's alone, he's arrested, he's on trial. He's hoping to get to Rome, where he can be a witness to Jesus there. He's got this promise from Paul, from God, sorry, that that is going to happen. But here, he is before Felix. Here is the guy who can make this happen. Set him free, allow him to go to Rome. 
Paul does not want to be on the wrong side of him. We're told in verse 26 that Felix is open to financial bribes. He's a very powerful man. The Roman historian Tacitus describes Felix as a master of cruelty and lust who exercised the powers of a king with the spirit of a slave. So understandable if Paul might be tempted to hold back on the evangelism here. That if he does have the opportunity to share his faith in Jesus with Felix, he might just be careful to shape his message in a way that doesn't cause too much offense, given his freedom is in Felix's hands. Maybe he's tempted to go along with the bribe. That would be easy and get him out there fast. But what did you notice about Paul here before Felix? Look, notice how he speaks, first of all, about the need to put one's faith in, in Christ Jesus, verse 24. Just speaks to Felix in this very straightforward way about the message of Jesus. I'd love to know exactly what he was getting into here. Christ Jesus, Christ the Messiah. This is true for you, Felix, as a Gentile. It's true for you, Drusilla, as a Jew. All the promises of the Old Testament is found in the Messiah, Christ. You need to put your faith in him. Both of you, Jew and Gentile, Jesus is for everyone. There is no greater thing that any human being needs to do than put your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul goes straight to it. Notice, secondly, Paul talks about righteousness and self-control. Isn't that interesting? Do you go straight to righteousness and self-control when you're talking about Jesus for people? In other words, Paul is not going to be tempted to take that financial bribe or give the financial bribe. And frankly, Felix, you shouldn't be asking for it either. I mean, there's no watering down the message here. When it comes to the doctrine of sin, Paul is applying it personally and directly straight to the heart and lives of these two people. This is what you need Jesus for. Thirdly, Paul speaks about the judgment to come. End of verse 25. That's why we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ, because Jesus is the only person who is fully divine, fully human, who has lived the perfect life, who has died at the sacrificial death we deserve for our sin, the only one who can save us from the judgment to come because he has died in our place. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what you need more than anything else. Clear, direct, no nonsense, straight to Jesus and the heart of the message. Even in quite a vulnerable, exposed place that Paul is in. Love it, don't we, when people are clear and straightforward with us? Speak the truth to us. I received an email from a Nigerian prince the other day. You ever got one of these emails? Saying he had a large sum of money that he wanted to get rid of. and Sorry, not get rid of. Wanted a large sum of money that he wanted to get out of his country and that I could uniquely help him. And like if I sent him a thousand pounds to this account, you know, he'd give me a large cut of this, this great fortune. But I didn't think he was being very straightforward with me. He'd got my like, name slightly wrong and there were some spelling errors which you wouldn't expect from like, an official document like that. So I don't think he had my best interests at heart, so I hit delete. I suggest you do too. Paul here is clear, he's straightforward. He has Felix and Trusilla's best interests at heart. What I want for you more than anything else is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as I know him. This is what matters more than anything else and whatever's going on for me. I know evangelism is frowned upon today because you've got your truth and I've got my truth and don't you dare say that your truth is true and my truth is not. But if Jesus Christ really is for everyone, if he's risen from the dead, 
if there really is a judgment to come that he alone can save us from. There is nothing more loving you can do for another human being than to share your faith in Jesus Christ with them. Clearly, straightforwardly, matter-of-factly, do you know him? If we don't really believe deep down that Jesus Christ is for everyone, then it will be very hard to stand up for that truth when our own livelihood is at stake. If we don't really believe deep down that there is a judgment to come on every human being, then it will be so much easier to water down the message when the pressure is on. But I put it to you, it's a very beautiful thing whenever anyone stands up for the truth, even at great cost to themselves. And that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. Secondly, notice Paul's perseverance in the face of injustice. Again, we see that throughout all three of these trials, but particularly intensified in verse 27 of chapter 24. Verse 27, when two years had passed, blink and you miss it, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. How unjust is that? Paul left languishing in prison, even though he has done nothing wrong, purely because the governor who's in charge of it wants to give a favor to the Jews. And so there he is, stuck, this terrible injustice he's facing. And a reminder to us, by the way, of the injustices that we will face as followers of Jesus Christ. We follow a king, Jesus, who himself faced his own trials and injustices before the Roman and Jewish authorities. Paul here faces these trials before the authorities. Don't be surprised if you and I will need to face injustice, face trials, perhaps even the authorities in this country. It is nothing new. But what I find remarkable about this section, and did you notice this? In the re- there is no self-pity from Paul at all. There's no woe is me. There's no moaning or complaining against God. God, you've given me this promise that I'm going to testify in Rome. It's two years later now. What are you playing at? Why is it taking so long? This is really hard for... There's none of that at all from Paul. Instead, what we see is Paul calmly defending himself whenever he has the opportunity. Verse 8 of chapter 25. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Totally fine as a Christian to defend yourself appropriately. Paul makes use of all legal avenues available to him. End of verse 11. I appeal to Caesar. Of course we can do that as Christians. Use all legal means available to us. But then notice when Paul does end up before King Agrippa over the page, chapter 26, and he finally has an opportunity to give a defense of himself in the freedom that is his as a Roman citizen. Notice what Paul's main concern is in verses 28 and 29. Over the page, 1124, chapter 26, verses 28 to 29. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. In other words, you see like what Paul is most concerned about here 
It's not his own personal freedom, but King Agrippa's salvation and all the high and mighty and cultural elite of the day who were there in all their pomp and ceremony, desperate for them to hear about Jesus and be saved from the judgment to come as well. That is what's driving Paul more than anything else, his love and concern for them. I was reading this week about William Wilberforce, one of the most significant figures in British politics. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. He campaigned on many issues for the sake of the poor and marginalized in this country, and most famously of all, instrumental in the abolition of slavery. But did you know how long it took for slavery to be abolished in this country? It took uh, that he was in about 45 years. From his first speech in Parliament in 1789 all the way to 1834 when the Slavery Abolition Act became law. 45 years of just persevering and just keeping going in the face of this terrible injustice and in the face of these bills being defeated, in face of his friends saying at the beginning, like, what on earth are you doing? You are wasting your life on this causing a load of problems. But he kept going, he kept persevering, 45 years for the sake of others. Do you know that he died just three days after the act was passed into Parliament? He gave, literally gave his whole life to this cause, concerned more with the welfare of others than himself. And today we honor him. We say, what a man, what a legate. I was reading an article by Dan Strange this week. He's director of Crossland's Forum, leading apologetics thinker, particularly around what it looks like to hold out the Christian faith today. He was suggesting that not only are we going to have to come to terms with being a minority in this country as followers of Jesus Christ, but also as a despised minority. And he suggests that in a few decades' time, there will be certain professions like teaching and medicine that will be closed off to Christians completely. I've got no idea if that's true or not. It's very hard to predict the future. But whatever the injustices we do face as followers of Jesus Christ, which will come, how are we going to face them? How are we going to keep going ourselves and persevere in the face of injustice and continue to hold out the message of Jesus, the most important person in the universe that everyone needs to hear and we've been called to? How are we going to do it? Not complaining, not moaning, not wallowing in self-pity, not crying out to the Lord, what on earth are you doing to the church in this country? But actually being more concerned with other people's salvation rather than our own personal freedoms. I mean, how are we going to do that? It's certainly not going to come about if we think evangelism is a chore, a bind, a duty. And it's certainly not going to come about if we think rather you than me. But only if we see the beauty and wonder of giving yourself to a cause in love for the sake of others, like Wilberforce, like Paul, like Jesus. Now, at that, this point, you might say to me, and I say it in my own heart, Mark, that is just too hard. And I cannot do it. My goodness, I see the need to stand up for the truth, you know, and for people to do it at great personal cost themselves. I see the need to persevere in the face of injustice, personal injustice, to do right. I want to be more other person-centered. It is just too difficult, too hard. I can't do this on myself. I'm too weak, I'm too frail, I'm too sinful, and I'm completely with you. 
And so is Paul. Paul could not do this by himself. No one can live life like this by themselves. The only reason Paul can live like this, and this is the last thing for us to see here, is what happened to Paul. And he tells us all about it in verses 12 to 18. And this incredible, dramatic, transformative encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's have a look at this to finish. Verses 12 to 18 of chapter 26. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then they asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In other words, do you know what Paul's attitude to evangelism was originally? He hated it. Evangelism to Jesus Christ. We're told in verse 10 that he threw many Christians in prison. And when they were killed, he cheered. He didn't want anyone sharing their faith in Jesus at all, and he certainly wasn't going to be doing it himself. He thought it was all a lie. It only changed after Paul experienced this personal encounter with Jesus himself. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Now get up and go. In other words, it's only after you've seen an experience the truth itself in the person of Jesus Christ, that you are empowered and transformed to stand up for that truth at great personal cost to yourself. It's only as you've seen and experienced for yourself the terrible injustice that Jesus himself faced through his trials, through his death on the cross for your sake, for the forgiveness of sins, even though you didn't deserve it, that you are truly empowered and transformed to persevere in justice yourself. It's only as you've seen and experienced for yourself the other person-centeredness, sacrificial, selfless love of Jesus for you personally that your heart will be warmed and transformed and empowered to love others in this same way. So can I ask, have you, have you had this living, personal encounter with Jesus Christ? Because that's where the power comes from, to live differently. When you are so thrilled by him, so thrilled by all that he has done for you, you can't help but share Jesus. You don't need to be told to do it. Like any piece of good news you've got, you just do it. It's natural. Now look, if that's something you're struggling with right now, and we all struggle with this at times, being thrilled by Jesus, motivated to that. Just notice afresh some of the language here in verse 18. Opening eyes, turning them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Imagine what it must be like for a blind person to see for the first time. <laughs> that is what the world is really like. I can see the truth now. That is the picture 
We are given here of what it's like when Jesus comes into your life. And suddenly you can see the world as it really is. I see the truth now about God, myself, how to live in this world. Imagine what it's like for a prisoner to be set free from, from jail. The power of Satan to God. For a prisoner to get their life back, to be able to start again, that is what the picture is if you come to Jesus Christ, if you are following him. All the past is dealt with. Forgiveness of sins. Fresh slate, fresh start. Newness of life. You get your life back. And not just the forgiveness of sins, but you do see also that lovely little phrase that you may receive a place with Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness, how many people feel like they don't belong today? People feel like they don't like, feel like they belong in their city. They're all, they're, they feel so lonely. People feel like they don't belong in their own bodies. They feel so confused. People feel that they don't have a place in life. They feel like they have no meaning. But the moment you trust in Jesus Christ, the moment you have this living encounter with him, you know you are loved, you're accepted, you belong, you have a place in God's family both now and into eternity. You know for sure what the one person who truly matters in the universe thinks of you. He loves you, he accepts you. Who cares what anyone else thinks now? And so I'll stand up for him. Whatever comes my way. Jesus has gripped Paul's heart, transformed his life for eternity. That only because of that can he live like this. Do not think of him as some superhuman, no different to you and me. Let Jesus grip your heart too. You say, I've not had a conversion experience like Paul. That's fine. Everyone's conversion experience is different, is unique. Mine was quite dramatic. My wife's and my father's, slow and steady. Who cares? What matters is a living encounter with Jesus Christ. But you say, I still feel so weak and scared when it comes to evangelism. That's okay. God understands. Remember the, the, our key verse of the book of Acts, Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Only then will you be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you, bringing you the power of the risen Christ with you and all that he has done for you. So get up, he says, and let's go. You say, okay, well, how does that all work out in practice? Well, in one sense, the more you're living for Jesus day by day, the more you're walking in his love, his forgiveness, his grace, thrilled by him and all that he is, it will just be natural. It will just come to you. But even when you're not feeling it and it feels like a chore or you know that standing up for Jesus in the workplace this week might make you unpopular, or perhaps you're facing injustice under injustice for being a Christian. You're just thinking, I want to tap out right now. Well, in those times, why not reflect afresh on all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you? His other person-centered love for you at great personal cost to himself. the injustices he faced for you. 
how committed he is to you, turning your eternal destiny around for free, completely undeserved. And it's not just like that you're remembering intellectually, you are, you're saying to him, thank you. You're experiencing afresh this living encounter with him. And let that empower you and transform you to live like this, live like Paul, live like Jesus, and have this beauty reflected and characterized in your own life in the week ahead. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much indeed for this final part of the book of Acts. And we're seeing a lot in the life of the Apostle Paul in his ministry to you, sharing the gospel in Jerusalem and in Rome. And thank you, Father, for the encouragement here that admits this beautiful standing up for the truth, this beautiful perseverance and injustice. This is not something he does in his own strength or his own ability. This is only because of his encounter with Jesus, with the the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in him. And we know that if we're following Christ, we have that same Spirit too. So please, would you work that in us. Please warm our hearts afresh to your love for us, all that you have done in us and through us, that we may show that same love, reaching out with the message of Jesus to others, wherever you have us in the week ahead. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.